0: Hello and welcome to Never Strays Far, the occasional rambling podcast hosted by myself, Ned Bolting, and my colleague David Miller. It's brought to you in association with Chapter 3 and The Roadbook, and this autumn we're pleased to announce an exciting free-to-enter competition with four unique prizes up for grabs. Chapter 3 have donated an exclusive face mask as well as a £250 voucher to be redeemed at their store, at their leisure and their pleasure. And the Roadbook are offering signed and numbered 2018 and 19 volumes, as well as the opportunity to win my handwritten commentary notes from the 2020 Tour de France, complete with coffee stains and indecipherable scribbles, but beautifully presented in a hardback. To enter the competition, simply go to (laughs) theroadbook.co.uk. Hello, Ned. Hi, David.
1: Um, so... have I missed anything?
0: Um... No, not really.
2: The Women's World Championship Individual Time Trial. Oh, she's crashed! Chloe Dye gets into the barriers and gone! And Anna van completes the set. The World's Time Trial Champion. The Men's World Championship Individual Time Trial. He's destroyed the field. Filippo Ganna completes his transformation from track to road and is simply untouchable. The winnings World Championship Road Race. If it's not Van Vluten, it's van der Breggen. The Dutch juggernaut rolls on and on as the Time Trial Champion doubles up here in Imola. The Men's World Championship Road Race. Ala Philippe alone! Ala Philippe irrepressible! The French have a world champion! The rest of the world has the people's champion. Women's Flesh Ballon. She has ground them into the dust at the murder three. The curse of the rainbow jersey lasted all of four days for Van der Bregen, who wins the Flesh Ballon for the sixth time. Men's Flesh Watch out for here. She watch him, watch him go and watch him win. The Swiss wonderkid. kid does it again the pink bank tour oh no he couldn't possibly do it could he all alone up the famous muir he can you know he turns the pink bank tour on its head at the very last and there's only one rider who can do something like that Mathieu van der poel the giro d'italia stage one gana to the line gana over the line gana in his first ever grand tour and straight into pink Women's Liege-Baston-Liege. Vizzy Dignan through wind and through rain, smashing a hole through the Ardennes and celebrating a third World Tour victory since racing resumed in 2020. The Giro d'Italia Stage 2. Sargon now has shut the move down but Ulisse steps up again and Ulisse pulls clear. Sargon beaten again and the Italian has pulled it off once more at the Giro. Men's Liege-Baston-Liege. 150 meters to go, Philippe opens up, here she trying to get on turn, Pogacar still in the mix, oh, and a big swerve from the Frenchman, here she unclips, and Philippe celebrates, but here comes Roglic, Roglic on the line, the world champion, nearly got everything right, but ended up getting it all wrong. When will this abate? How much more of this can we take? Well, um,
0: I, I've managed to, um, so I, I had my, I had my operation on Tuesday, um, uh, which was after the world championship. So uh, while the world championships were going on, I was just hanging around with a broken arm, (laughs) just hanging off the side of my body without any treatment. And then I had my operation and then it got even more painful. So basically I haven't moved from the couch, David. So I have watched everything. in immense in as much as you can i have watched every i mean you know me anyway i watch anything anyway but i've really kind of excelled myself this time and i've watched every damn thing and because Mm -hmm. the racing's been simultaneous quite often i've had i've been balancing ipads and you know Uh, um, telephones and 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 you can imagine it uh, i can imagine one arm up on a pillow cup of tea with my left hand spilling tea down my fronts Watching bike racing. That's been me, mate.
1: I just because I, I knew you'd be doing that, which kind of gave me the confidence not to. But at the same time, I was jumping in and out. And and just listening to your little resume there, I didn't even know what had happened in Liège today until hearing that. So I, although I, I've just put my boys down, we were away mountain biking all day today on the side of a mountain from Wow. We left. We left the house at seven thirty a.m. this morning and got back at six thirty this evening, and we've just been going up and down the mountain all day. And so, but at points, I would put on, go onto the phone, and try and see what was going on with Liège uh, or the Giro. Yeah. And I even saw the only one I did <laughs> was women's Liège this morning. And then I even did a little moment of catch up on uh, on because you told me to check it out what Matteo Vanderpool did yesterday. So I went and oh. showed the boys. What I love it is that Archie's already a fan of Vanderpool. So, oh, brilliant! so he knew he who he was and so we were looking like on the side of a mountain on my phone uh, at a screen watching this and he was like i think he called him M- marcus van rappel or something hey straight into a commentary gig oh, that lad he's on it he's got it he's got it but yeah so, so i've been doing probably what the majority of our listeners have been doing uh just kind of dipping in and out and overwhelmed but yeah
0: uh, i mean it it is it is completely overwhelming, and actually, I, okay. So I, you know, I flung that little montage together. It's faintly ridiculous, isn't it, David? Because I, you know, I, I, some of the races, most of them have been shown, all of them have been shown by Eurosport, for whom I don't work, and the other ones that haven't been, you know, have been shown by the BBC, for whom I don't work. So <laughs> I have not been paid. You know, uh, uh, this this podcast loses us money, and um, <laughs> and I haven't been paid anything at all. But yet, yeah, I still commentate at home. <laughs> oh no, it's, it's, it's,
1: it's more than losing money. Nicole's just kind of looked at me as I'd come downstairs after being away all day and I said, I've just got to go into the yeah. office and talk to
0: Ned. It's like... <laughs> losing like, losing, losing relationships, relationships and money
1: as well. It's like, oh God. But yeah, it's worth it. That should be our moment.
0: tagline. Never strays far. Losing money and relationships. Just <laughs> how to lose by Ned and Dave. But, but, yeah, I've, comment- I've commentated... To myself. Well, no, it's not fair. I've commentated to you. No, 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 you've done it. So, so to bring you up to speed. But this is
1: what's so good about it, Ned, because I felt like that. And this is where I, I think it's so genius. Sad. It's not sad because I felt that I got that you'd been there. We actually you had been for five hours <laughs> and we're just getting the crescendo and you just created ah! crescendo after crescendo after crescendo it's like oh i don't need to watch that anymore because i've got it yeah you gave it you're giving but, you're giving you you may be losing something but you're giving something to to all uh, of us
0: in a way in a way, in a way. <laughs> but i because i didn't actually commentate to any pictures because they're so fresh in my memory it's <laughs> better i just i closed my eyes. Ah. I closed my eyes when I did it and I just commentated with my eyes closed in a darkened room to oh, myself. Oh God, it's just that. Yeah, um, that's perfect. But honestly, honestly, I don't think, I mean, okay, so the only race I didn't follow in great detail was stage one of the Giro and we'll come on to that, um, which was a time trial. <laughs> um, I, 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 I gather it was okay. I tend, was on and turned on off to be honest with you oh did you okay yeah. all right well, you probably saw more of that than i did yeah. um that was the only one i didn't really focus on and it had a very expected outcome every other race uh as i say, i've watched in detail and honestly there has not been a dud you know um there hasn't been a bad race it's been uh it, it, and some of these some of these races like Fleche vallon which um you know finishes on a circuit like all good belgian classics do um mm-hmm. and you know t- multiple ascents of the mur de huy but the, the final one being the, the telling one, obviously. And some of these races can be very formulaic. And um, in the in past, you know, th- there has been a degree of waiting for the foot of the final climb. And then in the end, Alejandro Valverde wins. And, and we kind of know the score. Um, and equally, liege Baston liege I mean, they've rejigged the course, haven't they, a, a few years mm. ago, but it, it, it was getting a lot of stick for being a, 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 a race of waiting um, a, until the final. And um and the, it, it, it just hasn't been the case. It hasn't been the case. And um, in the middle of it all, the Bink Bank tour, the Eneco tour as well. I mean, I just can't take the Bink Bank word seriously. No, the seriously. Bink Bank is just so horrible. Just, yeah. It's just ho- it's horrible, so, isn't it? So let's call it the Eneco. Yeah. Um Benelux tour. The Enerco. The Benelux. The, the Benelux w- was kind of like deeply interesting and yeah. it has really kind of grown in stature over the last few years um, commensurately. But we should probably start with the worlds. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose, I suppose... I suppose you didn't see any of it. No, then. no, is I didn't. No, no,
1: no, So, so the worlds I did manage to get into, uh, time it around my life to get the last fifteen k's in. And did so,
0: you see? Did you okay? But going back to the time, the two time trials. Did you see Chloe DiGert's no, speed I, wobble? Uh,
1: no, and, I haven't and, seen any um, of that. Okay, so
0: it, I haven't seen it, any of that. I, I, that's a shame. That's a shame because. It was one of those where I don't know enough about bike handling or time mm. trial bikes or kind of uh, I don't know enough about cycling <laughs> really to ju- to judge mm. what what caused that or what was to blame. But uh, you know it was on a corner, but it was just one of those ones where t- huh. uh, you know the bike just got away from her and started twitching, took on a life of its own, and um, it was a proper speed wobble. Ooh. From which point it was very very hard, I guess, to kind of recover. Ooh, we'll go and uh, look at
1: that. Yeah, that sounds mad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was. But I mean, j- j- you know, p- people always say that time trial bikes are such different beasts to handle. Mm. And not many of us have ever sat on one and ridden one. Yeah. And so I don't think I've ever kind of understood. I've said it often enough, or I've heard people like you say it, but I don't really know why I'm saying that. What What, what is it? Why are they so uh, there, different to handle?
1: There's a few elements to it in the sense that the geometry is different, which means the so the, the geometry is a word that you use for people who don't understand but if you jump on a bike and uh, the fork angle is slightly different the wheelbase is longer the seat uh, tube is normally slightly angled forward so that's the geometry the different p- points of contacts and how they're lined up uh, it can be very subtle differences which throw a completely different feel to the bike so you get on it and it it turns differently and it basically is it the longer the short? if you get out the saddle it feels very different, just because of those slight yep. geometry difference. So that's one thing. The second one is um, it's all laid up regards the the carbon fiber. In the old days, of the welding to be st- hyper stiff, so laterally stiff. So it's got so it doesn't talk. It's not designed to have flex, any kind of handling flex. It's designed just to if you put the power down, it goes, it drives it forward in a straight line. Which means that generally time trial bikes handle like pigs. The old in the old days compared to and still to a certain degree they handle differently and then the next one is the, the handlebar position where your hand grip is uh, and the tri bars obviously they're a position you never normally use the brake leaves are mm. in different places the grips are different the shiftings are different uh, and then that's before we even get to the wheels and how the wheels feel the wheels are much stiffer they're faster uh, because of the aerodynamics because you've got a disc in the back then the braking's different uh, so basically this is always uh, what people don't quite comprehend if you jump on a any single normal human being that's ever ridden a brilliant really, uh, even one of the best road bikes in the world if you would jump on a world tour a tt bike on a flat road outside your house you'd be like mm. what the hell is this because immediately mm. you're going faster but then if you were to then uh-huh. but if you were to then turn do you turn and go back to your house you'd probably fall off <laughs>
0: I get some right looks on my street, I can tell you. So, (laughs) yeah. So,
1: basically, that's why, and it's only been in the last decade where we're told, people have been told, I always trained on mine, but you're supposed to train on them because it is just, they're completely different. Wonderful bikes, but completely different beasts Mm. to the road bike.
0: I think what was particularly um, disappointing and, well, devastating for Chloe Digerts, but also surprising was that, I mean, do you remember watching her race in Yorkshire last year? I, I think, Yeah, yeah she it, demolished we, we, it. We can, we can both acknowledge, I think, that n- neither of us knew the first thing about her before mm. the Worlds of yeah. Yorkshire last year. And then all of a sudden you're, you're watching that race and you're going, oh, oh, she's actually different in mm. almost every regard from everyone else in that field, including some of the real hitters, you know, mm-hmm. who are great road racers and mm-hmm. very, very good mm-hmm. time trialists. But she's a specialist yeah. and she just looked... She just looks a uh, class apart mm-hmm. on the bike. Um, so uh, you know she's obviously brilliant at what she does, and uh, just caught a wrong one. And um, she, I think she's very lucky not to be more injured. But it did open the it opened the the way for uh, Anna van der Breggen to to win her first individual time trial championship, world title, mm-hmm. which means she's now won two world road race titles. The national championship, Um, she's an Olympic gold medalist and has won the individual time trial and picked up the Giro Rosa this year for the third time, I think, after Annemiek van Vluten crashed out. So um, they're amazing, those two, Mm. because, you know, we've spent the last year, really, on Never Strays Far, trying to explain the phenomenon that is Annemiek van Vluten Mm. And as soon as some, something befalls her yeah. and, you know, the, the broken wrist and she steps away, whoosh, in comes Anna van der Breggen to fill the void and just kind of blow everyone away. Those two, are, they have an amazing rivalry.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, to the degree where it's quite, I, I'm guessing, again, for the majority of the, the general cycling fan population, would find it very hard to dis- distinguish between the two. Because although they're very different, they're so dominant and they, just, yeah. it's like they hand the baton to each other and it's just it's mad and that happens so rarely but it it genuinely is hard to distinguish their their individual brilliance because they're just they just keep swapping it between each other it's madness
0: yeah yeah and in the and in the road race the the women's road race um it was an attack by Annemiek van fluten on a climb which set up anna van der breggen's counter-attack classic you know that's what the Mm. that's what the dutch do um and then but Van Vluten, who decided to race with a recently broken wrist that she'd only just come out of surgery, and boy, can I identify with that uh, right now. Um, <laughs> she uh, she battled on. She finished second. She, you know, out sprinted who was it? Elisa Longa I think, in the yeah. in the final, so to finish second. And I was talking to a writer who I've commissioned for the, the Roadbook twenty twenty to write about Anamique van Vluten. and we were just discussing that road race um and i said don't you think i mean it's kind of amazing how this great champion can switch and turn into this support role and set things up for her teammates and there was a pause on the other end of the line and this writer knows her really well and went i think she was riding for the win still you know (laughs) Uh, and and there is something so ruthless about van vluten like if she'd you know she just carried on racing even Mm. though you know she had set up the van der breggen attack that ultimately was the successful one but she hadn't given up champs. and she fought all the way to the line amazing champ's a champ um the the men's time trial champion was filippo ganna mm. and we can we can we can discuss him and also the stage 1 of the giro which was that downhill mm. uh, sort of time trial in sicily all in one package because he won them both and mm. he won them both handsomely and he was favorite to win both of them and that was that and it's the confirmation of um his Preeminence in this discipline, suddenly, isn't it? I mean, we've kind of seen it coming from afar, but he's been mostly tearing up trees on the track up till now. Yeah, I mean, this
1: again is, uh, I'll be honest, I didn't really know who he was until I saw he'd won the Italian National Time Trial Championships. And I was like, who's Filippo Gano? <laughs> And, <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't really follow the track, do you? I don't follow. So, the, no, I don't follow the track. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, he's pretty good. And then, yeah. and then, I, then he saw it Tirreno and then I was looking at this. Then, being geek, I was looking at the size of him and looking at kind of yeah. the stature. He's a proper, pure time trialist. Just what, as, what sort
0: of size is he? Because he, cause he it looks looks, quite, like, he looks very elegant it, on a bike. I think pretty a
1: big dude. You know, yeah. in a sense like a proper classic pursuiter kind of a unit kind of more yeah. like a Taylor Finney sort of a, a mm. specimen, an athlete. Uh, and so kind mm. of, and and when I saw that and then I started following and then it's been a very, very rapid accumulation of these results in the road. It's what probably uh, that sort of person who's dedicated so much time over the years to the track and then has put a commitment, come to Ineos Grenadiers and gone, well, now I'm turning to the road and just flicks a switch and you're like, whoa, shit, that's one. When he flicks the switch, it's pretty huge, mm. because that mm. the last th- two, the last month has just been, in any career, would be mm. like a tsunami of results, and they've just been. Mm. It's like wow. So yeah, it's and then I, for him as well, uh, to then crown it with the the pink jersey in the Giro, in the, what is it the fastest ever time trial in, in yeah. history. What was it fifty fifty eight yeah. point fifty eight something fifty eight yeah. point seven one or something and yeah, something mm. ridiculous yes yeah, So hats off and but again it's probably quite interesting in the sense it's nice to see as somebody like that who's just a pure specialist and coming through and just yeah. smashing it, so yeah, and he's just made a mockery of all the other people as well, so hats off to him
0: yeah, that's a good Point because if unless he, if he just constant just if he just concentrates on that discipline, he could dominate for years to come, couldn't he? And he, he could be the next Cancellara or Martin. Exactly. Who never, you know, there was never no one ever back then. No one ever spoke about Cancellara or Martin adapting to go on to sort of race. You know, be a Tom Dumoulin or a Grand Tour racer. Yeah. They were always only ever about that. And and obviously in Cancellara's case, the classics. But Ghana. Yeah, it'd be interesting. To see, uh, yeah. but I mean, so but you can identify with this, David. His first day on a grand tour, and he ends up in the leaders' jersey. Yeah, I know. In his
1: home grand tour, <laughs> I can relate with that. In his home grand tour, yeah, it's That's amazing. Pretty mad, yeah, isn't it? it's, it's yeah. really cool, and it's it's going to be. It's, and it's. I think it's not only good f- for him personally, but it's good for the team. So he'll be empowered by that because the team needed that yeah. as well. So it's, yeah, uh, he's really going to rapidly embed himself within the the hierarchy of Ineos.
0: Well, I tell you what, that team looks um <laughs> we might as well pack up and go home with the giro. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's over. <laughs> I think it's over. Um Thomas, Th- I mean Thomas put so much time yeah. into everybody. Yeah. On that uh, I mean it's a let's be honest, it is um a very substandard Giro d'Italia general classification mm. race this year and that's not disrespecting Yates or Foolsang or Thomas. But you know, if you take those three out of it, there are, there's nibbly. <laughs> there has been gentle nibbly, let's there's be nibbles. honest, But but but, okay. but of course there's nibbles. Yeah. Um but you know, he lost he lost so much time. Mm. Um so did Foolsang, so did Crazefake. Um and and the only strangely, or perhaps surprisingly, the only G C racer who's even close to, to Thomas and twenty six seconds down was Simon Yates, who had an absolutely storming time trial yeah. um by his standards. Everyone else is way 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 on the back foot and when you compare yeah. that general classification to how tight it was throughout the tour de france right to the bitter end um mm. it, it, i mean thomas must be just gazing at his ipad screen at pro cycling stats looking at the gc going well this looks quite good yeah in theory with, it's with like all, in theory
1: yeah but at the same time if you've got a nibali who can throw hail mary's if you've got everyone there that's kind of it's it's a very different landscape and I think what's happening, I, I don't, yeah, I, there's a part of me that thinks Geraint will be, obviously he'll have that, that's a safe place. But at the same time, it's like, oh my God, I've got all these people that are going to attack us, <laughs> who have nothing for to truth. lose. And so yeah. there. there is the kind of the potential there for it to turn into just an anarchic Giro d'Italia, because yeah. it's like... Who cares now? The Tour de France has done. Let's not forget this is the Gerritelli after the Tour de France, after the yeah. world championships, after the classics. So it's it's kind of in the in the arena of the Vuelta where it's like it's hell yeah. it's Hail Mary yeah. time. Who cares?
0: So <laughs> it could be the yeah. hardest ever Grand no tour true. to control. <laughs> I wonder what that makes the Vuelta. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, that's the that's
1: the after after party where everyone's just loose. Yeah. <laughs> They're turning up at eight thirty
0: in the morning for a good, (laughs) (laughs) just to keep going. (laughs) But um, but it it did get me thinking that I remember I remember in the immediate aftermath of Thomas winning the Tour de France in twenty eighteen, thinking, well, obviously, obviously now he should try and win the triple crown. You Mm. know, that's the that's the obvious target, isn't it? Because it's really eminently realisable for him, mm-hmm. go and win the Giro, go and win the Vuelta. It might take you three or four years to get them both under your belt, but you can do that. Yeah. And, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it seems very obvious now, doesn't it, that, that trying to trying again to win the Tour de France in the same team as Egan Bernal and returning Chris Froome and all the other riders yeah. they were going to sign was always going to be a really a tough one. But, um, yeah, hey, but it could be two-thirds of the way there. Yeah, you know, I, I the agree. And I, I
1: think that was also the kind of, that was the, the motivational spiel from Brailsford to be the first Welshman to ever win the Giro, which for most yeah. people doesn't kind of wouldn't be that inspiring. But as you say, if you're, if you're a kind of a buff of the history of cycling and just, if you can future think and actually imagine that being when you're in your fifties, sixties, having one of the three grand tours, that's much nicer than having one, one tour de France and then just, being on the podium and doing other things,
0: I would suggest it's even. I think I think it's a greater achievement than winning two tours.
1: Yeah, I'd I, I'd agree one hundred percent. Yeah, if it's, you if you look at yeah, the fu- if you you'd project that,
0: wouldn't you? You'd say I've, done, I've won them more mate, won more yeah, like yeah. Nibbly. Yeah, to just the more, t- t- you know, tick, tick con- the boxes.
1: Just uh, but it, tick uh, the boxes. Uh, but it, which is a very horrible thing to say. That was the old the old British cycling saying. But I think for uh, genuinely, if you can project into the future and and have the the foresight to then go, you know what. I'd be much happier, much prouder to think that I won all the greatest races, Grand Tours in the in the sport, and there you go. Mm. So that would be so. Yeah, mm. fingers crossed. He thinks mm. like that.
0: Mm. All right. So before we leave the Giro, I mean, it's ridiculous of us to talk about Gerard, me. Sorry, it's my fault entirely about this being a coronation ride for Thomas. It's only just started, and there's so much climbing. And as you, as you rightly point out, Nibali only gets stronger throughout mm-hmm. three weeks. Um, so all to play for, all to play for, and plenty of racing to come. Um, and before we leave the Giro alone, then, I watched stage two today, which had a lot of climbing in the final four kilometres. Yeah, what happened? Um, so uh, so it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, there's not much in it for the sprinters this year. So there, uh, there's really kind of only one acknowledged out-and-out sprinting star there, and that's Arnaud de Mar. Unless you count Peter Sagan as an out-and-out sprinting star, which perhaps maybe you should, and maybe he is that. Um, oh, sorry, Elio Viviani's there as well, but he's nowhere near his best form in 2020. <laughs> See, though, you know what? Uh, sorry, I'm just going so to go. interrupt briefly, <laughs>
1: because that's such a great kind of uh, a barometer of of how somebody's going to do when you kind of, as a commentator or as a pundit or somebody, you forget about them.
0: <laughs> oh, we kept doing it we kept doing it during the tour didn't we oh and Viviani <laughs> like... kept happening kept happening yeah. I'd him. forgotten he was in the gym anyway <laughs> but so, uh, it was, so it was a really hard final four kilometres basically uphill all the way for the last four kilometres oh. there's one of those kind of hilltop yeah. finish in, in, in Sicily and um, none of it was particularly steep but it was steep enough to do a lot of damage mm. and um, the expected move was that UAE Team Emirates would set up Diego Ulisi because it's a, cl- a classic Ulisi finish for his seven hundred and twenty-third stage win of the Giro d'Italia because that's what he does, you know. And um so everybody knew he was gonna do it. And the first attack came from Valerio Conti with Diego Ulisi on his wheel. Those two are so I, I really like watching them race because they are they're a bit like the Sunweb duo of Cern of Crow Anderson and Mark Hirschi, mm. you know, or Sern Crow Anderson and and, and, and Tisch They work well together. You know, if it's if it's sometimes it's Ulisi setting up Conti, sometimes it's Conti setting mm. up Ulisi and this time it was that way round. And and then Ulissi went, and by that time De Mar had already dropped away. Viviani had crashed about yeah. seventeen times and wasn't anywhere near it. Um, stuff had happened. I know there this. Were no sprinters. I was
1: just looking on because you just reminded me. I I know that finish really well, Agrigento, because when you said four kilom- you four kilometres up here in Sicily, it's where we had the the pink jersey with Christian Vanderveld in two thousand and eight, and it's absolutely correct. No, no, was the last time it was no sprinter could ever win atop that, in, except Peter Sagan. Except Peter Sagan. And,
0: And boy, did he nearly win it. Um, Mm -hmm. So Ulissi launched his his late attack, uh, drew clear. Can't remember who went with him. There was another rider in between Ulissi and Sagan was the only other. And he came across this gap, got on the wheel of Ulissi and who the hell was it? I can't remember. Too much racing, racing overload. Anyway, it doesn't matter ultimately because they didn't figure. And that was with about 300 meters to go. And you thought, oh, well, Sagan's got this. This is the longed for victory. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. And then Ulissi went again. And here's the thing. Sagan couldn't go again there was nothing left he'd Mm. emptied it just to get in that position and I think so I think as close as he was and it was a it was a very hard and very good second place but it was second place Mm. and and again you come back to that conclusion about 90 percent of Sagan is not enough to win bike races at the moment and um you know he'll have more opportunities I think in a couple of days at stage four but, but to be fair, climb in the, I mean, the, if you're climb in the middle of the stage and then then it should be another sprint. If you're it should be if thing.
1: you're doing that on a finish like that and a race like that, you're str- correct. Whoa. I mean, that's kind of that's full A-list bike racing. So absolutely. Yeah, he's there. And, and
0: he emerged. He emerged so much better than mm. all the other sprinters mm. in inverted commas. Um, so, yeah, the Giro will present him with further opportunities to win his last, the last de- bike race to win his <laughs> yeah i sweat the old prediction took a bit of a there's a bit of, but it's still there it's still there the thing the thing that people don't understand about that is um that it has become a bit of a thing and i i you know i fully expect it not to be proved correct but what's the point of making a prediction that is just obvious no no, no it's great you know, it's great. i could in january i could have said peter sagan will win a certain number of bike races in 2020
2: yeah
0: now, I I think it's great. That- We're living
1: it. It's it's and it's just it's, <laughs> it's such a lovely um proper knife-edge uh, polemic prediction. Oh,
0: it was it was a knife-edge today for sure. Um on the road as well today, Alexander Vlatov, um, uh, yeah. who's that? Really talented newer human. Mm. Um he abandoned and I think he was actually sick by the side of the road, so he had a stomach upset. Aww. and That's terrible for them because Poor they guy. lost they lost Lopez um in the time trial. He crashed the previous day and they've lost Vlasov in consecutive days mm-hmm. and Jakob Fulsang is a minute and a half down in GC. So good luck Astana in trying to win the Giro. Um, so that's Italy dealt with. Uh, let's go back to the Ardennes. Yeah. Flesch Valon. Mm-hmm. The women's race was won by Anna van der Breggen mm-hmm. in kind of trademark van der Breggen yep. style. That's what she's done. Six times she's won that by Jesus. valverde <laughs> And if- Valverde-esque and even better than Valverde and Mm -hmm. four times since uh sorry four days had elapsed since uh she won her world Mm -hmm. uh, rainbow jersey and uh put the curse of the rainbow bands to bed Mm -hmm. and in the men's race it was all about well it was at the end all about uh Mark Hirschi um taking another very well time because that that climb is so hard to get your timing right, isn't it? You yeah, think, it's just horrible. It? Yeah, no. You just got to leave it so late; mm-hmm. it's insane. And he just he just did it brilliantly. Yeah. Um, but for me, the story was Maori Van Zevenant.
1: Mm, I'd never heard of this um, dude.
0: Well, you you remember his dad? Ah, Vim Van Zevenant? Ah, um, ring a bell? Mm, no. It, well, come on, David. He was in. Well, I say he was in the same bike race as you. He kind of was because. I think three consecutive years he finished lantern rouge of the Tour de France during ah. during your years okay. during my experience of the race, and uh, and he was famous for that. <laughs> but his son, his son, nineteen years of age, just signed as a pro in the summer. I think having finished his school exams, hmm. um, was in the break, and was uh, the early break in Fleche-Vallon and was the last man standing and attacked the remainders of the break and flew away from them just had so much energy left with 30k or something still to go had not much more than a minute minute 15 crashed inside the final 10 kilometers eight kilometers hit the deck got got out of the undergrowth got back on his bike and still had a gap over Rigoberto Urán, who was trying to chase him down and he was only caught when they actually got to the foot of the climb and then ultimately said uh to, to the uh, interviewers he said that he actually felt like he left enough in the locker to win that bike race now whether or not whether or not he would have done is a different matter but i love the self-confidence of yeah, him and the self-belief brilliant. and it was just brilliant to see and um he's got a real next time well next time you see him you've never seen him race but when you do get to see him race david he rides for Deconic Quickstep, obviously obviously um he he's got this really distinctive style because he's it's, um, there's a lot of kind of lateral motion and head jerk in his in his pedal action, so it doesn't look particularly efficient. And he's he rides quite high cadence, and he looks like he's riding in kind of um, slightly fast forwarding the film, you know, like uh, he's kind of and it's something quite old school about him. So it looks like slightly sort of juddering sixteen millimeter footage from the from the nineteen seventies of riders attacking and stuff. So yeah, it's just another one to add to our list. But that for me. Um, alongside here she's victory that was the story of the Vallon. which brings us to Mathieu van der Poel and the Bink Bang Tour now it's worth just saying the Bink Bang Tour stage race that um, crisscrosses Belgium and the Netherlands the Dutch um, side of it so one entire stage in the Netherlands was cancelled because of new Covid restrictions outside of the border and then the following day's racing which I think was supposed to cross the border was then hastily rearranged and took place entirely within Belgium so that it could happen uh then the following day the individual time trial was won by uh Krau Andersen, ahead of Stefan Kung, by the way. Um so here's a there's a rider on just the most blistering form. And he put himself right in the frame uh for the overall victory. The leader's jersey going into the final stage, which was um the Queen stage, if you like, with a um a, a multiple ascents of the Kapel, what's it called? The Kapellmure Geradsbergen. Mm. And um Mads Pedersen was still in the leader's jersey with a number of other riders, including Kung and um, Soon Crow Anderson, pretty close in the general classification. Mathieu Vanderpool, who'd had a relatively modest time trial, had a lot of time to make up. So he attacked. And he attacked with 70 kilometres to go, went solo with 50 Ks out. <laughs> you know, in the Enerco Tour, they have that oh, one well, thing yeah, the golden kilometre? Yeah. Where, where they have nine, they have three consecutive intermediate sprints, all of which carry time bonuses. He swept through that, picked up nine seconds, improved his GC position, and then still had ten kilometers to go to finish up the Kapelberg with everybody, Kapelmüller, everybody trying to hunt him down, and he held them all off with enough time mm. to take the time bonuses at the finish. And well, you saw the finish; it yeah. was,
1: it was, it was and There's
0: only there's only one rider. I think who can do that. And I, yeah. it's not Watt van Aert. No. It's, it's Mathieu van der Poel. It's different from what van Art does. And yeah. I can't quite put my
1: finger on why. It's very different because I actually, because I was sitting there with the boys on the side of a mountain going through it because he'd sent me a message yesterday, just a text, just MVDP. And I was like, what the fuck? What's going on? So I was then checked it out today. And so I went back and I was scanning back and 75Ks ago then 50 and watching him. But the way he rides is exactly like you just said. It's not like Wout van Aert, who's obviously got this incredible what we're learning spectrum of abilities, and he uses them really cleverly. Vanderpool is just like Merck star. When he goes, he just goes, and that's why it was very in that stage yesterday. Watching him, when I rewind and was then watching him do it, there's no definitive moment per se. It's just all of a sudden. It's he always looks the same and there's less and less people with him. And it's just <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And it's like and it's it's so just thrilling. And then I wish I'd watched it live because you could see the excitement how close they were to getting him coming into Gerardsbergen Gerardsberg. And it was uh, but then what was brilliant watching him finish and then cross the line in the shots afterwards, he was broken. Like absolutely just broken on the floor couldn't move and it was uh yeah it was proper bike racing and it's exactly i i i think still and this is what's so exciting about walt Aert and matteo van der Poel, is they're kind of ripping up the rule book in a very different way to the pogachas to the to the he or she's who are very kind of beautiful specimens Wout van Aert and matteo van der Poel are just these brute <laughs> old school just decide to rip a race to pieces for the sake of it and yeah so I'm, all of a sudden Matteo van der Poel just won everyone back if there were any doubts of he was getting overshadowed by Wout van Aert he went and did that ride yesterday and it was like oh yeah we got Matteo van der Poel as well yeah
0: I mean with with, with the Tour of Flanders and uh, Paris-Roubaix still to come mm. on the calendar it just uh, it just doesn't bear thinking about, does it? You think of the quality of that chase group with Stefan Kung, Oliver Narsen, Maz Pedersen, uh, Soon Kraut-Andersen, you mm. know, and they were working well together, but he just extinguished them. Yeah. It was, um, I, I, and it's not just it's not just Braun. I think there's a fair amount of racing brain going on there as well, David, knowing how, you know, Gilbert-esque really, because you listen to Gilbert break down some mm. of his long range attacks, the one that, for example, won him Flanders a few years ago. Mm. Um, he, he he knew knows better than almost anyone how to calibrate his effort doesn't he and, and when to save a little bit yeah. and how to hold it back and i think van Der is pretty smart as well you know yeah okay. yeah you know, in i terms think of yeah mea- measuring it out
1: yeah i think we just said they're calibrating you don't he tends to when he does these things he tends to pull them off on the finish line like he did with Amstel, like he, this is Chase in Flanders last year, and yeah, they they were not used to exploits like them, but they're not follies. They tend to almost he either pulls them off or he gets very close to pulling them off. So there's definitely a lot of calculations that are going on there beyond the brawn.
0: All right, which brings us to our final couple of races to discuss, and they're both brilliant. Liege-Bastogne-Liege today, Mm -hmm. uh, in the rain, really early on in the morning, the first ever televised um, finale to the women's Liege-Bastogne-Liege. And in a a not dissimilar way to Mathieu van der Poel, although she's much more experienced because she's been doing it for so long, this kind of thing. Lizzie Deignan did it again. And she, to my mind, is, especially in the current women's peloton, which is so loaded towards the big teams, and in particular towards the Dutch talent of Vos, van Vleuten, and uh, van der Breggen, uh, as well as all their great support riders like Ellen van Dijk and Amy Peters, etc. cetera. Deigen strikes me as being an escapologist. <laughs> and and what, is, what is so impressive about her wins, so she's won three notable one-day races since uh, the resumption of racing. Uh, the Grand Prix Plouet in a two-up attack with Lizzie Banks, and she outsprinted uh, Banks on that occasion then she won La Course uh, in a totally different manner um, getting the better of Mariana Voss in a small group and now this one winning solo um, I, I think her mastery of tactics are make a real difference with her yeah. and I think she understands intuitively when she can exploit her she can exploit the group that she's about to leave you yeah. know she, she just gets the motivations mm. and she knows how to put people tactically on the back foot and, and make them cancel each other out and um I think it's, I think she's super smart, and not only that, mm. David, but I exchanged messages with Phil, who we worked with last summer when he joined mm. us at i t v and um, just to congratulate the Dignan family and he said, yeah yeah yeah, wind and rain, wind and rain, yeah. and she just comes to life, but mm. it was a it was a brilliant it was a brilliant solo ride again um and the men's race, and then the men 's race, the last race of all in that sequence have you seen the finale david i've
1: seen nothing i've literally only this is the first time I've stopped since putting the kids down. So I haven't seen anything.
0: There's a climb with about 14k to go called the Roche au Fosson. That's mm. where I think Dignan attacked, um, uh, and it's also where Alaphilippe decided to get it done in a World Championship style. This time, though, he or she w- was very attentive, and he or she went with him. And not only he or she, but Primoz Roglic went with him as well as Tadej Pogacar and someone else. Can't remember who the other one was. But it was like um, there were five riders in the end, um, and th- but he, so he couldn't get away on his own this time. So he had a slightly different conundrum now, and he's looking around this group and he's kind of chatting. and He's oh by the way he's already hit the deck two times. He's been for a bike change. He's fiddled with his shoes. <laughs> he's been uber twitchy all day. I mean just hyper twitch. Yeah. And then he uh, ends up in this group and it hasn't quite worked. So he hasn't gone clear this time. So he starts like looking, demonstratively stretching his back, looking around, looking, having a quick word here and there, and. The closer it got to the finish, the more fidgety he got. Um, And in the end, in the final few hundred metres, he knows that a counterattack is coming up the road fast. So they're all starting to look at each other, this group of four or five, including like, you know, all the hitters from the Tour de France. It was such a remarkable group to see come to the line together in liege Baston liege because it's just so unusual, you know. Anyway, this counterattack is coming up the road. It's Matej Mohoric who's attacked from the front of the chase group and ridden across to the front of the race in the final few hundred metres. Ala Philippe is on the front looking round, making a big show of looking round, waiting, waiting for Mohoric. And of course, the only thing that Mohoric can do is once he makes the junction with about 300 metres to go, is to go straight past them and carry on, which Ala Philippe knows. Ala Philippe just goes whoom, straight onto his wheel, and you're thinking, well, that's it. And everybody then on Ala Philippe's wheel. Um, Morrich lasts another 100 metres. Alaphilippe goes with 150 metres to go. He or she moves over to the middle of the road, starts to get on terms with Alaphilippe. And at this point, suddenly and violently, Alaphilippe swerves across, takes his line, forces he or she almost off his bike, but certainly to unclip, to steady himself, hampers Tadej Pogac's sprint, and he thinks wins the race, Alaphilippe, coasts over the line, um we're upright with his rainbow bands on full display taking the his first what he thinks is his first victory only to find Roglic has sprinted on and lunges for the line and Roglic gets a um a quarter of a bike length ahead of him over the line and wins the bike race fair and square but even if Roglic hadn't done that uh, the UCI commissaires were always going to DQ Aliph Philippe for that move. Wow! So he he properly huh. screwed it up, Whoa. like in the most unlikely of ways, really for Ali Philippe. So I don't know. I don't know what went on. I don't know. Maybe it was just. I don't know. Maybe it was just exuberance and yeah. kind of feeling like a million dollars, and like nothing can go wrong for him. But Jeez. it was quite a chastening moment, I think, for him.
1: Yeah, that's not cool. That's hero to zero, isn't it? Because
0: A little bit, because he or she carries a lot of goodwill in the public yeah. imagination as well and um and was you know, looked like he was gonna beat Philippe. to be perfectly honest at that point. Um so it was it was a bad move and ultimately blew right up in his face. But to to leave it on a positive spin, um I, I think Roglic winning that monument uh, after all the heartache of the Tour de France being snatched away from him, or you know, right at the last, yeah. and bear in mind that's only two weeks ago, David. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's great. I think it's a really that's a really good news story. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It
1: says a lot about him, doesn't it? Because he could have just gone into hibernation, uh, and, it, and his whole team and the, the entourage would have allowed that. Yeah, he's come yeah. out, and so yeah, hats off to him. Good job.
0: Mm. Good job so that's all the racing yeah. that was easy to summarise in yeah. half an hour or so wasn't it I mean, <laughs> I've missed out load. sorry I'm totally up to that I feel like I'm up to speed now <laughs> <laughs> this is great <laughs> um, alright let's, um, let's allow a bit of the Giro to take its course and then have a little conflab in a little while yeah. and see where we're at with the uh, Geraint Thomas procession to Milan shall we What is it? What,
1: what, just to quick up yeah um, what's happening next week in racing
0: I have no idea so when when's, Should I when, know? when's
1: Roubaix? Yeah? Oh,
0: no, no, no. I do know. God, how can I say I don't know? I know very well because I'm commentating <laughs> on some of it. Ah, there um, you go. I'm doing some World Feed commentary next week. I am commentating on Thursday on, um, what's it called? The Brabantse, uh, Brabantse, Brabantse Peel. Yeah, Brabantse, Brabantse Peel. Yeah. Leuven to Leuven or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then I am, and then I, on Saturday, I was going to be doing the Amstel Gold Race, but that has been... Uh, cancelled, because all racing in the Netherlands mm. is now gone. It won't happen. Um, so, on Sunday the 11th, I'm commentating on Gent-Wevelgem. And then on the 14th, uh, so midweek, the following week, on the Wednesday, uh, the scale de pre- Excuse me, the scale de Prez. Actually, sorry, I should say Bourbant's Appeal is on Wednesday coming. Scale de Prez is the following Wednesday on the 14th. And then on the 18th, so a week on... Two weeks today. Two weeks today is the Tour of Flanders. And nice. then two days after that, David, the Vuelta starts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This madness.
0: It is properly mad. So, um, Uh, very good. All I can say is we shall, we shall pod again.
1: Yeah, definitely next week. All right. right.
0: Take care. See See you soon.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.